I'm Mel Stewart, and this is Swim Spine Podcast. Joining me today is a very special guest, someone we've wanted to get on for a long, long time, personal friend and 10-year national team member, Olympic champion, B.J. Bedford Miller. <laughs> yeah, Miller in the quotes. I, I, I added, the I, alter I added, ego. Add it in the Miller. We have to add in the Miller because everybody loves your husband. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> it's uh, uh, well, it's it's. I, I wanted to have you on because it's a, um, you know, not not all folks who have represented Team USA have done it as long as you have or have as some some swimmers. They they come to prominence, especially during the '80s and '90s and into 2000. And they, you know, there's a lot of athletes that 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 are there for three, four years. Um, you were. You were at it going back. You were at it for 10 years. I mean, 92, you were seventh at trials in the hunter back. 96, you were third at trials, but you were making national teams all the, all the while. Yeah. And uh, that's, that, that was an interesting thing because I'd forgotten about that. I'm like, oh, my God, BJ understands the experience of getting third at trials. Oh, yeah. Christy Kowal and I were talking about it. We were calling it the third place club. I'm in the third place club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're all the third place club where you just know that crushing disappointment of like what could i have done and that mental masturbation you go through in your head of like did i eat something wrong could i have changed a thing and gone you know it's uh yeah well it's, it's an important part of our of your character of anybody who's in the third place club's character but uh but you you know at the same time you you ascended on to 2000 winning gold and you did it with a with this you know at, at, at the sydney olympic star-studded relay with uh, Megan Jendrick, Megan Kwan at the time, uh, Jenny Thompson and Dara Torres. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, what I, what I find fascinating, you won national six times in the Hunter Backstroke. You're an eight-time national champion. You swam at the University of Texas. You swam at Petty. Uh, you, you, were, you have a storied career with deep, deep experience. So you understand the full elite experience. And the reason why I wanted to have you on is that we, we, we all watched, I think most of us watched HBO's uh, Weight of Gold with Michael Phelps voiced it over. And I, you know, my personal feeling was, wow, I'm so glad he did this. This was amazing. This was so good for athletes in the sport and for parents of athletes. But I also felt like maybe that was the first chapter and there should have been, there should have been a six hour series and we needed two more episodes. Because a lot of athletes who have um, a lot of athletes who, who have experience with uh, depression after the fact, typically there was a trigger. Uh, there's a history going into it, and and every national team member typically is hiding something or overcompensating for something because of deep, deep, deep insecurity. You have you know my insecurities. I know your insecurities. Let's just, we're going to lay yours threadbare today. <laughs> Do I get to ask questions about yours too? <laughs> no, no, just you. This is all. This is all about you. But it's. Uh, it, it's so, what was your feeling when you watched the documentary, and and how did you process it from a personal stand standpoint with your history? Okay, so first of all, I'm still trying to figure out how to watch it. I don't have HBO. I've like gone all over the place, and I'm trying to like circumnavigate 
all of the, the, the controls so that I can watch this thing because I'm so obsessed with, like, I want to see this because everything I saw in the trailer, like you could see the trailer and the conversations I've had with other athletes, this is something that every single one of us goes through. It's something that is so resonant and so close to my heart. And I'm like, I want to watch it. And I have not yet, just full disclosure, I can imagine what's probably in there because I've been through it, but I'm like, I want to see, I want to see the whole thing. With that kind of a lead in, you're supposed to go, yeah, I watched it. I, I, I understand <laughs> the detail. So I'll, I'll sum it up for you. It is that you win. Mm-hmm. Life suddenly um, gets very busy and then it doesn't really change. And um, turns out that you're the same person that woke up the day, you know, the, the, the week before when you weren't a gold medalist. And, um, and you have to deal with that. And what it did, there was only, there were many, many narratives. There was only one narrative where they actually talked about the, 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 one of the athletes, uh, was, uh, suffered sexual abuse and, um, and they were, so they were hiding that and they were hiding that shame. So we, we found out, so they won, you know, they, after the fact, they, they, they go into this deep depression. It's, um, so we didn't get everyone's backstory. And that, that is what's fascinating is that most athletes who are achieving at a high level are, um, they're overcompensating for something. There, there's a deep insecurity. Yeah. And uh, I, I, will, I will say this, I had a deep insecurity. It was very, very deep. And it was very, um, I thought that I was an imposter. And, it's, uh, and I, was, I was scared to death that people would call me out all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, all I knew to do was to win just try to win because if I win, it'll all go away. Right. And that's, that's not true. It's a lie. Yeah, totally. So, um, like you, I, and I talk to people about, I honestly, okay, I'm going to, let me rewind. I, um, still struggle a little bit with how do you talk about this without, cause I don't want to make myself different than everyone else. I don't want to be set apart and put on a pedestal. Like I am looking for human connection. I'm not looking to be anyone's Messiah or anyone's leader, right? Like I just want to, you know, and I will talk about the Olympics and say, look, everybody has their Olympics. Mine was televised. Right. And I can tell you my favorite race in the world was like New Hampshire state high school championships. One year when like I raced Jenny Thompson and the two of us were in the hundred backstroke and I barely beat her. And I was like, so excited because Jenny's a badass, right? Like, and you don't beat Jenny very much. So that was one that I remembered. Um, but I will definitely say being on the national team for, for that long, for, you know, a decade plus you, there's very few functional people at that level, right? Very few, all of us. Um, we're compensating or hiding or um, looking, you know, it's like the center, like your nexus of control of your brain and like your self-worth is something outside of you that you feel like you can get with a medal, right? Like if I can just get over there, I'm going to be okay. Like, uh, and you have posters of people on your, on your wall. You're like, I'm going to be that person. And then you wake up and you're still you. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> I, well, but you see, and I feel like I'm not, I'm not taking this in a very linear way or answering your question very well. Um, you see somebody every year is the sweetheart of the games. 
it's Michael, it's Summer, it's Amy, whoever it is, that could be me. And life can change. Like there is that brass ring. And a lot of the time it's a swimmer. Like, you, you know, so there's this piece of your narrative that's like, you know, it's all bullshit, you know in logically like in your brain but in your heart you're going it's the answer it's the answer like that's how i rise above all of this crap that i've carried around in my life and that's how for me you know we had i i think everybody talks about their or nobody talks about their insecurities of what drives them and i do think it's more about loathing yourself if you lose than loving yourself if you win well said. Well said. Let's let's so people don't. Um, let, well, let's put this into context. And 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 this is a truth for me. You can you can share it. It does help to be on that journey, yeah. striving to be something better. It does keep you on a path. Uh, I think it might be accurate to say that for not for everyone, but for many of us, if we hadn't been on that path, we might have had a very very destructive life. So this kept us on the straight and narrow and, and, and experiencing achievement is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the magic. It's not the magic elixir. Right. It's um, so we, so we are profoundly uh, humbled by this achievement and that we've had the opportunity and that people supported us on the path. But um, yeah. we, we are also socialized and, we're, we're all socialized. We think that it's going to be the answer because that outwardly that's what the world tells us. That's what the media tells us. And that is the impression you get as a kid and a teenager and then a young adult. And um, that's the truth. The truth is we're told that's the answer if, if it's indirectly from every direction, but it is not the answer. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say like everybody who goes to the Olympics is, is, uh, is, is trash and they're they're all mentally <laughs> unstable. But it's, we're beautiful uh, trash, man. <laughs> beautiful trash, beautiful trash. But it's I'm, I'm just I'm just adding a little bit of context. Just adding a little bit of context. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, so in in terms of in terms of where you were, in terms of uh, that kid, take me back to when you were that kid and you're like going to you know you're going to 92 trials and you're finaling. You're young. What's um where's your head at? Yeah. Um, let me take it one step before that. I qualified when I was 14 at, at, for 88. So I qualified for trials and, um, I didn't even know what trials were, right? My friend Karen Swenson came up to me. I went to junior nationals. I got second to Jenny in the hundred back at junior nationals at the justice aquatic center in Orlando, Florida. And, uh, I, I think I went a 57 in my hundred back and, uh, at 14 and, Karen Swenson came running up to me and goes, you just made Olympic trials. And I'm like, like the real Olympics? <laughs> like the ones on TV? Like what? You, said, um, you went 57 yards. 57 and 100 yard back, yeah. yeah you got to say yards now because people. I, know, right? I, know. I never broke a minute. My password to everything was 59.99, right? Like <laughs> I just wanted to break a minute in the 100 meter back. And now it's like everybody's doing it. 14, you drop a 57, you make Olympic trials. 100 yard back, you drop a 57, 1988, you make Olympic trials. Just so yeah. the swim nerds will be happy. Right. That's when it was a 57-44. That's when I, uh, that's when the, the imposter syndrome 
began, right? Like that's Olympic trials. Like that's the real deal. And I'm like, oh, I'm not the real deal. I'm a freaking kid. I'm 14. I'm like, oh my God, really? And then I went through, that was, right, that was 87. So I went through a year and a half of just sucking, like just sabotaging myself and like not going to practice. And I was scared to death to be the real deal. Like I didn't, that none of that made any sense to me that that could happen for me. Um, I wasn't used to, I mean, I was used to racing, but I wasn't used to winning. I lost a lot more than I won. I grew up with freaking Jenny Thompson in my backyard. I didn't win stuff. That was her. (laughs) For any young Um, young swimmers out there, Jenny Thompson, 12 time Olympic medalist. She's a doctor now. Yeah. And 12 time Olympic medals. And, and, and like she has eight goals. So she has, it's, there's Derek Torres has 12. uh, Natalie has 12, but Jenny has 12 with the most gold medals. So really the most in terms of just hard metrics, the most successful female swimmer in history. Yep. And nothing she couldn't do, right? They just put her on a relay when they needed to win, right? (laughs) And I'll tell you, having been on the national team with her on a relay, I'm like, oh, we got this, right? You just, Jenny's such a competitor and she's such a a rock star. But, um, you know, it started in 88 where I didn't think that I was worth it. Um, But I think all of us start with some sort of reason why we need to win, right? And I was the youngest of four, the only girl. My mother is an amazing human being, um, raised all four of us. My brothers, my oldest brother is really, really smart. And um, he has his PhD in fluid dynamics. <laughs> swimmer also, we were all sort of family of swimmers. He started it all. Um, but I think my mom was the mother, father, everything. Cause my dad was his version of what it is to be a good dad was I'm going to go and earn money and give that to the family. And that's, that's how I'm a good dad. Like he was not engaged. He was not loving. It just wasn't who he was and isn't who he is. Um, and that's fine, but that wasn't what I was looking for. So for me, that hole of like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I have to win to show that I'm good enough. Or it's just the question of, am I good enough that I ask over and over and over and, and swimming races was a way that I could get an answer for a second. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. But in reality, I was looking to uh, fill that void that was left by not having that from my dad. And so it, it kept getting higher and higher levels of, am I good enough and more and more pressure so Olympic trials is like kind of the epitome of that where I, I just, you know, didn't, I sabotaged myself because I knew the answer was always no, right? No, I'm not good enough. Who am I kidding? <laughs> I'm just some kid from New Hampshire. Um, and the, it's so funny because it is this conversation you have in your head over and over of, um, well, some days I am, but it's, you know, probably outnumbered by the days that I'm not. So that was, that was what was driving me. And I think there are a lot of women on the national team who had similar backgrounds and a lot of men too, you know, I mean, it, it's a, yeah. Parents have to fill up that love tank and um, each kid is different. And, but we do see uh, the most, we, we look at the most extreme examples. Um, Michael Phelps dad was, was in a product of a divorce. He wasn't there. He was trying to, uh, I never Sam saw Lane. Jenny Thompson's dad either, right? Yeah, like, yeah. 
Jenny's mom was such a strong force. I mean, I grew up with them, right? So I saw her whole family. Her mom was always there. Michael's dad was also missing. Like Ashley Tappan, I never saw. I saw Ashley's mom, never saw her dad. It's not something we ever talked about. It's not in the Olympic up close and personal. Yeah, right? Where they show you with your dog and your boyfriend. Woohoo, you know, like I'm remodeling my house. They always miss that 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 that, uh, that dysfunctional weird beat in your life that you're hiding is not a part of your narrative, and it's uh, and and it is the one, th- and it oftentimes is the one thing that that's driving you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a it, there's a there's a certain point where you're on this journey to that Olympic dream because you're you've bought into the dream, mm-hmm. and you are so into it you live this monk-like existence at times sometimes you don't sometimes sometimes you're a complete mess because you might be dealing with addiction issues outside of the pool because i think a lot of a lot of athletes are as extreme as they are in the pool they can be extreme outside in terms of drinking or drugs or, or anything yeah. that's 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 destructive but the um but there are times where it's like when it's so hard you feel like you're okay and, 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 and the way I describe it is there are periods of time when you're living this monk-like existence where you're in so much pain, you get so used to the pain and you're so okay with the pain, you have this numbness mid-season and it's like, that was my favorite time because I didn't, I was so exhausted and so broken down. I didn't have, uh, I didn't have space. My brain, my brain wasn't spinning out. Right. Did you experience that at all? Did you have moments where on that process where you're like, I, you know, you kind of felt okay? Yeah, I think the, the, the neurotic OCD focus that I had on, like, on the days when I focused on the dream, I could let everything else go. Right? Like, and I, um, <laughs> I think that my, some of my friends and I were talking about growing up in New England <laughs> We don't have feelings. This is not a thing. You just deal with it, right? Like uh, I'm good at burying things that are not sunshine and puppy dogs and unicorns. Um, I'm a pretty, I'm committed to the happy for the most part. So when it's not happy, like that can really, uh, really kill me. But I think that, I think back to some of the, the really hard practices and how much I hated them, like I hated it so much, but I loved having done it when it was done. It wasn't enough to drive me to want to do it because I hated that pain, right? But the physical pain was something that was real and it could take, like when there was that physical pain, whether it was lactic acid from the workout you did the day before, the day before, or it was in the middle of a set where you're just burning out, right? that was very present and it was the only thing that you could feel when you were in it. Right. Like there just wasn't anything else. Um, and I used to say, and you'll love this cause this was, I could swim fly. I wasn't, um, I wasn't going to win nationals at fly, but I could final, like I was, I could probably make top eight in a hunter fly. I could pull one out. Like <laughs> I wasn't, I actually always had to swim it at Texas because somehow we didn't have butterflies. Um, sorry to swim it on the relays. It was annoying. Um, but I would say you got to chase the pain. 
right? It's going to hurt anyway. I might as well be in control of that. So I would go chasing that pain. I would go chasing. I would take it out. I'd be like, all right, I can take it out easier. I can take it out hard and it's going to hurt either way. So how about I take it out hard and see how fast I can go and, you know, I'll control this pain. It's going to hurt. I know it's going to hurt, but I'm going to go get it. And that was when I was in that, nothing else mattered. Uh, the, the whole saying that you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable is, is a hard thing that everybody wants to achieve. But if you're bringing, if you're, if you've got baggage um, in your head, you're, you're, you're so used to living in pain that it feels familiar sometimes. And uh, I don't, I, I don't know if you're aware of it when you're in the thick of it. And I, and, but on that through line, all the years that you were on the national team, were you aware that everyone around you uh, might have a similar experience? Not, not the, not exactly the same, but some, you know, that, that a little bit of that recipe in there where they're overcompensating. Were you aware of it or did you have to retire and, and become an adult and have, and have a career and step away and grow into a woman to go, huh, uh, this is, this was more common than I thought it was. Um, you know, I swam and I retired at 28, right? So I was relatively adult or at least adult size, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, that's, that's, you're an adult. So it, I did move through some of that. Um, and, you know, training with Ashley Tappan at the Olympic Training Center, knowing, training with Amy Van Dyken, who is someone who is so strong and comes from that place of insecurity and having her tell me, about some of that, like it was at the edges of my perception, right? Like I kind of knew it was there, but I was too scared to go into it with anyone, with myself, with anyone else. So it's you, were like aware, we all, you were aware, but you didn't want to, you didn't want to do any deep right. digging. I didn't want to, it's like, oh, no, 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 that's over there. We're not talking about that. Like, yeah, 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 you got that too, sweet. <laughs> I got you, we're sisters, it's cool. But it's like, we didn't talk about it. I never talked to anybody about what my, family life was like except in that yeah I grew up with three older brothers they used to beat the crap out of me it made me tough made me quick made me loud <laughs> and you know we would joke around about those things but it's not you don't you don't talk about like I was always looking for the love of my dad and just never feeling like I could deserve it or earn it or have any tangible evidence of it Right. So I think we were all in that boat, but I think I, I knew, but I, I wasn't willing to face it. I don't think any of us were. Complicated relationship with your father. Very yeah. complicated. And uh, there, there's um, shame surrounding your dad. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. My dad worked for a televangelist in the 80s. He was a, he was a guy Friday. He was a manservant. And every and I was always afraid that everybody would call me out because of that. Because that that televangelist ended up going to prison, sentenced to forty five years. His name is Jim Baker. So yeah. I always carried that with me, shame. And that's just one layer. But it's yeah. a. Uh, I I thought that I was like the gold medalist of shame and backstory. And I, I don't want to make this a competition, but I like when I, when I heard, when I, when I, you shared a little bit about your story, I was like, Ooh, that's a unique set of circumstances. Yeah. I was, uh, I felt, I felt a kindred, I felt like I had a sister. 
I and you do, man. We, yeah. I, you are definitely, um, you're definitely one of my 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 kindred spirits in this in this journey. But while I was at the Olympics, my dad was in jail, and I was desperately afraid that in any interview, someone would be like, "Why isn't your dad here?" And I'd have to be like, "He's in jail." And He's in jail. Yeah. Find him in the Palm Beach County <laughs> penitentiary or whatever that was. But it was like he was there. Um, while I was training and I, it was, it was just, it was horrible. And, and I was definitely very ashamed of him. And I think now I'm much more at peace. He's out of jail when he served his time and the guy's in a wheelchair, he's not really a threat to anyone anymore, but at the same time, like he lives with that for the rest of his life. How, um, so when you're, when you're as this adult grown woman, do you have compassion for that younger self? Like, how did you compartmentalize that? That's a really interesting question. I thought you were going to ask if I had compassion for him, which I think I do. Um, at the end of the day, I think everybody goes through what they do. Um, yeah, I'm dodging the question, aren't I? <laughs> um, I am not sure the answer to that is not something I have ever really explored. Um, I think that, do I have compassion for myself as a younger person? I, yeah, I think I do. It, it's so hard to think about that without being that, right? Like it's hard to, for me to say like, I am looking back on me without being like, well, I'm still me, right? Like putting myself in that. So it's hard. It's hilarious that I can compartment. I could compartmentalize this whole crazy family drama that was going on. And I'm like, but I can't compartmentalize who I am now and to who I am then. <laughs> I'm it, not sure the answer to that. It takes a huge amount of bandwidth to keep that experience that you have, that reality, yeah. and, uh, and stay on the path and achieve. And um, I know it hurts. So it's like, how do you do it? I mean, I know how I did it. I did it the same way I did it for years and years and years, which was just to push it down and shove it down. Right. Be but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a, it just, but there's a, yeah. How do you. <laughs> I was more afraid of the world finding out that I was broken than I was of being broken. You know what I mean? Like I was more afraid that everybody would find out than I was of hiding it. And, and like, I was good at hiding it, man. I was the class clown of every trip. You're not, a whole, you're, you're not, a, here's the thing. You're not a whole person unless you have achievement or unless you continue to be the class clown, this yeah. personality that you, this construct of yourself, that's going, that's moving toward achievement. And then, then you're going to be whole when you achieve it. Right. So you can't let anybody know. You can't let right. anybody know. No, no. And it's, uh, yeah. the, the links that you'll go to, to hide it is huge. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were a Did few they, people who knew, but I mean, my John D knew my coach. Nelson Diebel, my best friend from high school, but he wasn't swimming anymore, you know? So yeah, there were not many people who knew. Well, 
I didn't want people to know that part of me, like, which I think is, is I do feel, I feel a little bit sad and incomplete about because that is that, as you say, it, it makes up the whole as opposed to, um, like the, the part that's just always happy, right? That's no one is always happy. I'm pretty close to, I'm like almost always happy, (laughs) but yeah, it's you, you, the part that could, that could, everyone finding out about that could, um, would have shattered what the, the person I had painstakingly constructed Right, that would have shattered the image of like the fun-loving, happy-go-lucky, no problems. Well, I won't say no problems. I kind of walked the knife edge of of the destruction and the and the joy. <laughs> so I don't think it would have been that uncharacteristic for people to know. We're moving down under ten minutes, so I, I want people to realize that when you you so a lot of Olympians have an experience. It's not always the same, but it's it 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 has the same effect on their lives as they're moving towards success. And um, then you do realize that you're you're not a whole person. This this wasn't the this wasn't the ultimate healing magical thing, and you have to you have to come to grips with that, and you start to build a real life. I feel like that's authentic. And, um, it typically starts when you, when you create your family and uh, you do it better, you do it better on the second time around. You do it better. Cause you're like, I've, for me personally, I was like, okay, I was successful at the Olympics. I can do this in family and it's not always perfect, but, uh, that was, it certainly seems like it, 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 it heals a lot. And of course there's therapy. Yes. There's therapy, which I think is amazing. And I think everybody should go through it. Definitely. Um, and you know, it's, it's become so accessible too. Um, so I, I am a huge, huge fan of that. I think I learned a lot of things about myself through these, um, through these sort of these lessons that were the crucible of our trainings and our, our competitions, right? Like you're just this lump of coal that gets either squashed into a diamond or into dust is, you know, either you come out the other side as as way more committed to who you were or as like a pile of nothing that's got to reassemble um i talked to my dad the day before he went to jail i called him and uh because he knew he was going in right he he had the you know he had a date he had to show up he wasn't going to miss it he knew he had plea bargained um but i talked to him and i was like dad you know all i ever wanted was for you to tell me me that you loved me and you were proud of me and he goes I always loved you and I was always proud of you and in that moment something inside of my brain kind of shifted and I was like if I've been chasing this thing that I've convinced myself doesn't exist but he says it does and I'm looking for that from him like it it was somehow always there but I missed it. So I'm looking at that going, if I have the ability in my head to create an existence where his love and pride in me does not exist, I got a pretty strong brain. Like, are you kidding me? I made up this reality and I lived into it like it was real, like it was exactly the thing. And I was like, why would I not choose to be happy if I can construct my own reality 
Like that's kind of where I went. So it was, and, I, and this is why I say like, your brain wraps itself around the logic of things, but your heart doesn't get it, right? Like in that moment, I felt free. I was like, I can do anything if I've lived in misery because this thing didn't exist. When it did, like, what else could I do? What else could I make up? Could I make up a reality where I'm like, awesome? Like, let's do that, which of course is absurd and didn't happen. But like, that was a, a conversation that I'll never forget. And it still did not give me the freedom to, tr- to be at peace with it, with the world, right? It wasn't even something I did. And yet I was petrified that the world would see this and associate me with this, I mean, a pedophile, which is what that is. Like, I can't even like hardly say it. It's just awful. Yeah. It's, uh, we're not our parents. We are, we, we, we right. are an amalgamation of our parents, but we don't, you know, you, you, you feel like you carry their sins. Right. Uh, that's, that's, that's natural. Well, because people are like, oh my gosh, you're so much like, you You look so much like your dad. I can see so much of your family. And you're like, every time someone says something like that, my heart just goes, even now, not as much, but back then it was like, oh my God, don't curse me with like, what if I am doomed to repeat the sins of of my father or, you know, which of last time I was attracted to a 16 year old boy, it was a 14 year old girl. (laughs) It's, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's not who you are. So it's a. We're down to 4.30. I just want to, I want to kind of bring us back to a place of, uh, you know, you're an Olympic champion and in, in terms of your, your life as an adult, you, you're very successful. Uh, it, you know, some of the most fun I've had out, you know, in, in, the, in the swim industry was when you were with Nike Swim, heading up their marketing. Um, you know, Tiff and I, you know, spending time with you, with you in Las Vegas at conventions and uh, and you're very successful at what you're doing now. And it's a, it's, and you're also the glue for national team members. If, if someone's had this experience, you're, you are like this epicenter point and people are, you know, you're like Jupiter, you have an, is gravitational force. So whatever you've done in the last few decades has been working. And it certainly feels a lot more authentic than when I, when I look at the media back from when you were competing. Right. So yeah. you're getting it right. Thank you. That is so kind. You know, um, I've since COVID, it's been really fun to kind of throw together some of these happy hours and see who shows up. Right. And it's, we have this spidery network of people who, Oh yeah, I've got Jeff Rouse's number. Let me send him any, like all of a sudden it's like, we've got 30 former national teamers on the, on a, on a zoom call. So that has been awesome. And it has, given me such a great chance to reconnect as an adult with all of these awesome humans that I was not ever um, willing to let get to know me fully. Right. Cause we were all, <laughs> we were all playing our double game of like, no, no, no. See the good me. <laughs> it's like the Chris Rock kind of thing. It's like when you first date someone, you're not dating them, you're dating their representative. Like, that's who we were. <laughs> We're like, we're all our own best representatives, except when we're on national team trips for like a month and a half somewhere in a hotel and you can't help but see some of the crap. <laughs> then you're like, oh God. That, that's okay. It, it, it's, uh, it makes you, I feel like the kids today are, are um, it, seems like, it seems like getting therapy and mental health is, is, is there, there isn't this. There's not the stigma. 
there's no stigma. There's no, there's no shame surrounding it. It's like getting help is a, is, is a, is a positive thing. Right. Uh, as we come down to under two minutes, I want to know from you if there's any parting thoughts or any wisdom you have for kids who might be going through the same path that you've experienced. Um, I think the biggest thing is to know that you're not alone. You know, we're all in this. Um, and we've all been successful despite of and because of where we're coming from. And if you're going through like being ashamed of your family member or having something in your life that you don't want people to know about, like we, we have all gone through that. We are all in it with you and it, you're not alone. That's the biggest thing. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.